Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Glad to be here. Give you a little background just in case you didn't know who I am or where I'm from or what's going on or who is this guy. I am Pastor Terry. Do want to thank Pastor Ben for allowing me to get into his pulpits. And I, I know that's hard for pastors to do to let somebody get in their pulpit. But we go way back. Uh, for about 10 years, I was here at Calvary. Really love Calvary, love the people here. We moved to Littlefield and God had called me to a ministry there. Things have been going great in that ministry. And it's been about three years. Pastor Sophie and I were talking and it's almost been about three years, which seems crazy and almost seems bad that, man, this is the first time I've been in the pulpit over here since three years. Well, Ben's asked me to come several times, but things haven't lined up, but they have tonight and that's good. And I'm glad you're here. Those that are on Facebook out there. Glad you're here. And uh, we're going to, we're going to, Go through some exciting things through God's Word. And hey, those announcements and everything, man, that guy has got some energy. I tell you, I, I hope I can keep up with his energy. You need to put him in the pulpit and give him a Bible and get him. That's awesome. Enjoyed that. But if you're with me, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Everybody have a Bible here? You do? If not, we'll get you one and we will make sure you keep it because you need a Bible. This is God's Holy Word. But we're going to be looking in God's Word tonight. Again, like I said, it's an honor to be able to study God's Word here with you, midweek Bible study. Uh, grab your Bible, buckle your belts, because here we're going to go through, we're going to get ready for takeoff. I like to I like to look at it as when we're studying the Word, as getting in a plane and taking off, and so we're getting ready to take off. Um, we'll be in a couple of places. If you know where the book of Acts is, turn in the book of Acts, Acts 1. We're going to be looking at 1, 6 through 11. And then we'll, we'll flip over to Hebrews. I said two places, but really it's going to be three places. But two, two Bible, we're going to be in Acts and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 and then also Hebrews chapter 12 is going to be where kind of where we're going to plant our feet in Hebrews 1. But Hebrews 12 is going to be our kickoff verse. But the title of today's teaching, in case you haven't seen it, it is Eyes on Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about with everything that is going on in our world. All, I don't, I don't know here how people feel, but there's a lot going on. I mean, with COVID and you can't turn on the news without stuff blowing your mind. I mean, I was looking at Lebanon and all the stuff that's going on there. Africa, you've got locusts tearing up the crops. I mean, you've got hurricanes. I mean, I tell you guys, if, if you've been read the Bible, it's, it's unfolding before our eyes. It is. And I, I hope, I hope you're ready. I hope you, you know the Lord, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at the background of Acts. Um, in the book of Acts, just to kind of give you, I know you're used to verse-by-verse verse teaching, and uh, you've been going through Genesis, and I know that uh, Pastor Ben has mentioned that you're going to take off and do some great studies. I know you're going to look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, and then move to Daniel, and then move to Revelation, and look at a lot of prophecy. So I know you're used to the verse-by-verse verse teaching, and I want to, I love to stick to that. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear what God has to say in His Word. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So giving you a background, a little bit on Acts where we're kicking off. So the, Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. He rose again. And then around 40 days after His resurrection, we kick off and we look at Acts. And that's the Acts of the Apostles. So you come in and you look. Here it is. It begins in Acts. 40 days from His resurrection starts and begins the ascension. And that's what we're going to look at tonight when he ascended 
into heaven. So if you have your Bibles, direct your attention to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, and we'll begin there. So, I think it's on the, we have a slide we can put on the screen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood them by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same as you saw him go to heaven. Now, we gave a little background on Acts there. Now, I look at this and I think of that. I think, so it says they, they looked, they kind of looked up and seen Jesus go. Probably that same look I had when my wife drove off for the first time and left me with my daughter, pretty much a newborn. I had that look like, oh God, what am I going to do now? You see, these, the, they were walking with Jesus. They were serving Jesus. Then they watched Him get crucified. And then he rose again and they were hanging out with him like, yeah, this is it, man. He's fixing to take over. We're going with him. And then he ascends out. And so they probably had this kind of look. But but I love the book of Acts because it takes off right there. The two men standing there, we don't know who they were. Probably Moses, Elijah, probably going to be the two witnesses. I don't know. But the two men were standing there. Why are you looking up? The same Jesus who went up is coming back. And it's not... The same, it's the same Jesus, the one that was in the flesh, the one that walked with you. That same one is coming back. And so what happened? And why does he tell them? Why do you stand there looking? It's basically he's saying, time to get to work, fellas. And that's what they did. And that's where you see the Acts of the Apostles. The rest of the book of Acts shows what they did. They took off and they began their ministries and they began teaching and they began spreading the gospel and they began showing the love of Christ and they began working and sharing the gospel. And so that's what we see there. So as we think about this, as we let this verse sink in, I was reading a story a while back about a World War II widow. Uh, Well, she was the widow of a World War II vet anyway. He, so he passed away, basically got killed in battle, and uh, she didn't know that. She, she thought he was going to come home. He was a prisoner of war. And, and so what she did for 68 years, I read this story, for 68 years, she'd watch out the window. She would set his plate. She left his closet like it was. She left everything like it was. She lived her life like she was married. She lived her life like she was still married to him. And I thought of that. And, and I was like, man, that is awesome. Are we, are we anticipating the same way for the Lord? I know her husband didn't come back. She wound up passing away. But have you thought about these truths here? I want you to kind of look at that again. Scripture tells us, in Acts, it tells us, Jesus is literally coming back to earth again. Are you, are you guys aware of how frequent the writers in the New Testament wrote about the promise of Christ? Are you aware of that? Do you, do you know that if we look in the Bible, at 27 books in the New Testament, the 27 books in the New Testament, 
23 mention his return. 23 out of the 27. Jesus often spoke about it himself, if we read through there. In the 66 books of the Bible, you'll find that one out of every 30 verse refers to the return of Christ and end time topics, basically. So it is fair to say it is a major theme of the, from cover to cover of the Bible. It's a major theme. Down from the centuries, Jesus' followers, they fully believed. Jesus' followers fully believed and taught and expected that he would return. So, Christ's return has always been a key focus of Christian faith. His return has always been a key focus of our faith as Christians. This truth has brought encouragement from generations to generations. They've encouraged Christians from generations to generations. Christians have looked to the promised future of Christ's return. We are reminded of the promise of His return every time that we take communion. What do we do when we take communion? We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And if you look and you don't have to turn there, but just kind of jot it down. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, we say, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. But, unfortunately, the topic of Christ's return has been derailed from what the Bible actually teaches about His return. You see, His, his return is a foundational truth of the Christian faith. It is a foundational truth of our Christian faith. And get this, it is the pivotal hinge of the door that our Christian faith swings on. His return is very important as a believer. Why do you say that? Because that's our hope. Just as they looked up and stared into the sky, He said, Jesus, He will return again. That was their hope. That's why they were on fire for the Lord. That's why they took off. That's why some of them were crucified upside down. They were martyred. They were killed. Every single one of them but John. And they tried to boil him in, in bowling oil. And Jesus said, well done, well done. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so if you think about that, man, the guys were on fire for the Lord. They burned. And it was because they knew He was coming back in the flesh. And so regardless of what, what people say, Jesus is coming. You know, Second Peter tells us scoffers will come. So regardless, let them scoff. I tell them, let them scoff. I know people tell me, ah, they've been saying that for 2,000 years, Jesus is coming back. Well, He's coming back, and you better be ready. And so, so that kind of plants us where we want to head. Really what I want to talk about today is eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on the Lord. And I wanted to kick it off with just prophecy, the prophecy of His return. The greatest prophecy ever that Jesus is going to come back. He's coming back for his bride. So we've kind of kicked off in Acts. Let's move to Hebrews. And we're going to plant our feet in Hebrews. But I want to, I want to talk about something in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, or, or chapter 12, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 12. This is going to be our key focus verse. This is going to be the key verse that I want you to kind of hold on to. And, and there, if you're with me, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of 
of the throne of God. So basically what we want to do is looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, as we're, as we're in Hebrews, I want to kind of, like I said, I love verse by verse going through the Bible. So we're going to look at Hebrews 1. But I want to give you a little bit of background. Now, I know, I know you guys, you're the Wednesday nighters, man. You, you're the ones that are here because you love Jesus. And I know the ones that are watching out there on Facebook, it's, you're watching because you have a desire for Christ and you love the Lord. So I, I assume that you do know God's holy word. I hope so. But if not, we're going to give you a little background. I want to build a little foundation of where we're going. And so if you look at Hebrews, uh, I want to give you basically this fabulous book of Hebrews. I don't know if y'all have been through it or not, but hopefully you have. I'm going to talk about its author, its audience, and its argument. So as we go through that, debates have raged for almost thousands of years concerning the author of this book. Now, if you and I were to sit together, we might be like, well, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And I might give you my opinion, you might give me your opinion, but here it is. Many scholars believe that it's the fingerprints of Dr. Luke. They say, hey, man, his fingerprints are all over it. Others insist it's the, elo- it's the eloquent book of the Hebrews argues that it's the oratory of Apollos. Man, the powerful speaker mentioned in the book of Acts. We talk, see him in the book of Acts. And also it's alluded to him in Corinth, the, the first epistle of the Corinthians. It could be Apollos. I don't know. It could be Luke. I don't know. One thing, however, certain that if we look at it, whoever penned this epistle of Hebrews had an intense understanding of theology. Not only just theology, combined with immense Greek vocabulary. They knew theology, they knew Greek vocabulary. And these two factors point a lot of people to the Apostle Paul. In a greater sense, let's look at it. In a greater sense, though the question of authorship doesn't, that doesn't really matter. We could say, we could talk about, oh, I think it's Paul, or I think it's Luke. And I say that because I've been through those talks with people. And you know what? It really doesn't matter because why? God is truly the author of Hebrews, ultimately, is He not? In reality, the entire Bible is the autobiography of God. All the way through Genesis to Revelation. And when a person writes an autobiography, he doesn't try to prove his authorship, does he? Or his existence? They don't try to prove it. Therefore, those who engage in endless debates, trying to... Uh, basically prove their point or, or trying to, to make them feel better, they get nowhere. So from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Hey, in the beginning, God. I hope you believe that. Genesis 1-1, all the way to Revelation 22-21, the underlying premises is that God is, and He Himself wrote the autobiography of His Word. That's God's Word. So that's just the background of the authorship. You know, we, we, we don't know. I mean, somebody can claim that they know. A lot of people say it's Paul. Again, we, we don't know. Because Paul always identified himself and is not identified in this book. So there it is. There's, there's the authorship. I don't know. God wrote it. And it's inspired by God. So that's where we're going to go from there. Then the audience. If we look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was addressed to Jewish believers. And the reason it was addressed to Jewish believers because they were they were being pulled back into Judaism. They were going back, and we see this happen from time and time again. They were going back into Judaism and living in Jerusalem. No doubt, each time they heard the trumpet sound from the courtyard of the temple, might have reminded them of their heritage, 
or maybe their history, they found themselves kind of drawing back into the religion, the rituals, and the Levitical code. They were kind of going back into that. Jesus came to establish a new covenant, a new testament. That is why there are very sobering warnings throughout this book of Hebrews as we look at it. If you go back to the old religion or rituals, you nullify what? You nullify the work of Christ that He did on the cross. So don't complicate your faith. Keep it simple. Keep it focused. Keep it centered on Jesus. And that's what it's all about, keeping it centered. So that's the audience that we're looking at. Now, now here's the argument. The argument of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is superior to the old way of religion. He's superior to it. He is superior to His majesty because as a son of God, He is superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua and to the entire Levitical system. He is superior. And He is superior to ministry because as the Son of Man, He died for us. He relates to us. He works with us. Now, I think we're going to be blessed as we look here tonight through Hebrews and it's just a jump start for you guys. I hope, I hope you read through Hebrews if you haven't read it. I hope that you study God's Word every day. But it's just a jump start. I really think you're going to be blessed as we just kick off in verse 1 and a few chapters in verse 1. But this, as you look at that verse again, that's our kickoff verse. I want you to look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking here it is put this in your brain and keep it there looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith the founder and perfecter of our faith some people say where is this Jesus you're talking about he's the founder and perfecter of our faith we look to Jesus we don't look to what's going on in the world. All oh, this COVID stuff's going on. This is going on. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. All this stuff is going on. I'm looking to this. I'm afraid. No, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your strength and ability. Just like the, the apostles, get out there. Continue the work of God's Word, teaching it, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, I want to plant now, if you would turn over to Hebrews 1, let's look at it. Here it is, Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The sun is the radiance Shekinah of God's glory in the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Every epistle is written to address a problem. If we go through the epistles, they're all, addressed to, they're all written to address a problem. We see in this case, in the second generation, believers were struggling. Jesus hadn't returned. They were being persecuted on every end. Some were drifting away and dropping out of the work and of the calling that God put them in. We live 
in a time, we live in a time where thousands of people keep their name on a church roll, but they never show up. They never give or serve. Our world is exploding with violence. Turn on the news, it's exploding with violence. More than any in my lifetime. And many, and many people who were once claiming to be followers of Jesus, they're losing heart. And I know this because just yesterday, we went to Costco. And uh, man, I, I tell you, when, when you pray every day, I pray every day, Lord, use me. He'll do it. Be ready. And so I, I, I'll pray every morning, Your, Lord, use me. You know, if people around, use me. And so we're getting gas. I'm pumping gas. This guy walks by. And I said, how are you today, sir? And he works there. And uh, when you ask, again, if you ask the Lord to use you, and then you ask somebody how they're doing, get ready. Because this guy was like, I'm having a terrible day. Oh, he's like, you want me to tell you about my day? He's like, I, we have these little speed bumps. And a guy got a crowbar out, and he tried to take the speed bump out because he didn't want to drive over it. And then this guy's throwing cones everywhere. And he gives me this his whole day and, and how his day's been. And, and uh, he said, you know what? To top it off, guess what? Most of them are Christians. Well, how do you know that? They got their little fish on the back of their car. Love Jesus. And he's like, it drives me crazy. And I said, well, so it bothers you they're Christians? He's like, well, yeah. And then I said, well, maybe, maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. Maybe you should be looking at Jesus and not, not the people. And he said, are you a preacher? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, I went to seminary. He said, I, I preached for a couple years and he, I gave up on that. And I said, again, man, you, you need to be looking to Jesus. And I apologize. I said, man, I'm sorry for my Christian brothers and sisters. I, I even myself have done things probably shouldn't have done and upset people I shouldn't have. I apologize for that. But look to Christ. I said, people will fail you every time. Look to Christ. And I say that because here it is. A brother went to seminary. Knows Jesus, was a pastor, and has just dropped out. Dropped out of the faith, given up. And we see that. We see that happening. People are losing heart. And they, they because that, they're, they're in danger of what? They're in danger of drip, drifting away and dropping out of God's work. So we've got to be careful. And so, as we turn our eyes to Jesus, you ever heard that song? Turn your eyes to Jesus. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a singer. But turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And all the things, bad things, terrible things, all the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of the glory of His grace. That's how the song goes. And so let's turn our eyes to Jesus. Tonight I want to share some truths, five truths that will give you hope in your faith in Christ. Will give you hope in your faith in Christ. Let's turn our eyes towards Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, you want those five truths? If you got a pen, you can write them down. If not, you've got a photographic memory, and I know you can remember each one. But what we're basically going to do is just is just kind of look at the... Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, and just look at it and see. I want to give you five truths here through God's Word. Not my truths, His truths. So, first off, in verse 1, 
Jesus is God's final word to the world. Jesus is God's final word to the world. We read, in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son. Throughout history, God has spoken in many different ways. How did He speak? He spoke through angels. He spoke through burning bushes, as we see. I know you've been going through Genesis. He spoke through burning bushes. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through Balaam's donkey. Remember that story? How he spoke through Balaam's donkey? Why do you keep hitting me? I love that story. He spoke through the Urim and Thurman in the high priest's breastplate. However, God's main communication method was through the Old Testament prophets. He spoke through prophets. But, once Jesus came to this planet Earth, God said, this is my final way to talk to you through my son, Jesus. That's how God speaks and through his word about Christ, through Jesus. And so there's others since Christ has been ascended into heaven. Many have claimed they got the final message. You know, 600 years after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, an Arabian named Muhammad claimed to be to receive a final message from God. He wrote it down in the Quran. He claimed his revelation superseded that of Jesus's, who he considered to be a great prophet. And then in 1830, Joseph Smith, he claimed he received a more final revelation from God. It is called the Book of Mormon. Sorry to the Muslims and the Mormons, but Jesus is the final word from God. Jesus is the final word. And so, as we look at that, many may claim, but God is still giving fresh new illumination to the study of His Word. Yeah, He gives us fresh illumination to the study of His Word. But He's not giving more... He's not saying, okay, I'm giving you a revelation. Here's what I want you to do, Pastor Soph or Joe. He's not doing that, is He? Jesus is His final authority. And so, as we look at that, God gives fresh new illumination to His Word. If you study His Word, He'll give you, He'll illuminate it in your life. So, here's the thing. When you hear someone say, God told me something, you should be very skeptical unless it agrees with the Scripture. Never step outside the Scripture. So, it must agree with the Scripture. So, second, second truth I want to kind of outline here. Jesus made and maintains everything in the universe. As you look in verse 2, the Bible says, through, through whom He made the universe, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. It is important to remember that Jesus made claims about Himself to others. Other, you see, he, he made claims of Himself. He said, before Abraham was... I am. The Bible says Jesus was the present at the creation of the universe. Jesus was there. In Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. In John 1, the Bible says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. Nothing was made that was made. Jesus was there when God gave the word, let there be light. This is supported by what we read in Colossians. I love this part. The Bible says in Colossians, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven 
on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. In Him all things hold together. Okay, so not only is Jesus the creator of all things, the Bible says in Him He holds all things together. The word is son is stale. That's the word, if you were to look it up in the Strong's, it would say son is stale, which means to stick together, to cohere. So it means Jesus is the super glue of all matter. Or if, you, if you're from Texas, Jesus is the duct tape of the universe. We like that one because duct tape works on everything. So Jesus made the world and everything in it and he sustains it. He holds it together. It is all about Him. It's, it's, it, without Christ, boom, everything would fall apart. But it's not that way. You may think, oh, wait a second, everything's falling apart. No, everything is falling into place, my friends. You think it's falling apart, but it's falling into place. Read your Bible. Everything's falling into place for what? His return. All the pieces to the puzzle are coming together. And why am I getting excited? You want to know why I'm getting excited? Because I've been telling people all my life, I'm 43, and most of the time I surrendered to the ministry at 18 years old. And I've been telling people Jesus is coming, so yeah, I'm going to get excited because it's all falling into place, and you better be ready. And so, number three, I don't want to get too excited, guys. I'm trying to meet your excitement, man. So, Jesus perfectly reflects God's glory and character. In verse 3, we see that Jesus perfectly reflects God's glory and His character. Our text says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. The word radiance refers to the Shekinah glory. The word Shekinah means brilliant, shining glory. It was the word used to describe the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. The Shekinah glory. So as you've been studying Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you'll see this Shekinah glory. Now, since the Shekinah glory is no longer in the temple... The shining presence of God is in Jesus. He's the Shekinah glory. A picture might not always give you an accurate likeness. A little boy who was scribbling and drawing a picture, now, I don't know if you've heard this story, he was hunched over and he was at work using different color pencils, drawing, and his dad came up to him and said, Son, what in the world are you drawing? And he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. His dad said, shook his head and said, But son... Nobody knows who God looks like or what He looks like. The kid kept drawing and said, if you'll leave me alone, they'll know in a minute what He looks like. I love that little story. And also, sometimes a picture might not give a, a, the greatness of the representation. I, I think of this too when a, a lady took her pictures into Walmart. This is back when you got your pictures developed. Some of you may remember, some of you may not. But She went in took her picture and took it out and said, this picture gives me no justice. And the guy behind the counter says, ma'am, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> anyway, so sometimes a picture doesn't give that great representation. But here we see revealed in Jesus. And so God chose to reveal himself to us. And he did it by putting flesh on and walked in the midst of us. Here it is. No man has ever seen God, but many people saw Jesus Christ. And here it is. But when men look at Jesus, they saw the representation of God. The Pharisees demanded to Jesus, Show us the Father! 
What did they say? Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John 14.9. So all that Old Testament stuff that you read, it all comes to light when you open the New Testament. You say, there it is. All that stuff that was going on, all the sacrifices that they had to do, all the things, the scapegoat, everything they had to do was a representation of the true one that was going to give his life, who was Jesus. And so the picture comes to light. And you're like, oh, okay, now it all makes sense. It should all make sense now. So let's think about the word pure and polluted as we look at this. I would drink, I wouldn't drink polluted water. Would any of you, if I gave you a muddy water, would you drink it? No, you'd be like, no, give me, give me fresh water. So we crave pure water. The problem is we're all polluted from the inside. We're all sinners. That sin, the sin that's in us. Jesus is the only man who walked the planet of this earth who was morally and spiritually pure. Guess what? He took our pollution into his pure body and exchanged and gave us purity and grace and forgiveness. Oh, how exciting. We're all sinners. But I'm glad God didn't send a do-it-yourself kit because it wouldn't work. We wouldn't be able to do it. We'd mess it up. Although, that's what a lot of people do. Man, when I invite people to church, a lot of times they tell me, let me get my act together first. That's not going to happen. You can't clean your act up. You can modify your behavior for so long, but then you're going to go back into your old ways. You see, only the blood of Jesus can clean up your life. Only the blood of Christ. Because what Jesus did on the cross, you were once all... Sinners, and now you're cleansed because of His righteousness. His imputed righteousness. What God wash, God washes away our sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You like that song? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? There I go singing again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Jesus is the only one who can cleanse sinners. And we see that in verse 3. Now we're still moving into verse 3. Jesus sits in the place of heavenly honor. He sits in the place of heavenly honor. There was something unusual about the temple in Jerusalem you might not know about. The Bible says that he sat down. And we even in, even in verse 12, we, or chapter 12 a while ago, we looked at it said Jesus sat down. Now, there's something that you might not know about. There were no chairs. There were no place to sit in the temple. Did you know that? There was, there was instruments. There was implements for worship but no seats for the priest to sit down. Why? The reason was that they never finished their work. People were always sinning. They never finished their work. They were always making sacrifices, performing duties, and they couldn't, they didn't, they couldn't sit on the job. But when Jesus made a final sacrifice as high priest, as our high priest, when he made that final sacrifice, he did something no human priest could do. What did he do? I'm glad you asked. He sat down. He was finished. The job was done. And today, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the time when the Father says, Son, it's time to go claim your bride. It's time to go back and get your bride. He sits at the throne of heaven to indicate his absolute authority. Over the universe, as we talked about. He rules. He reigns. I love the chorus, our God reigns. Our God reigns. I heard about a church bulletin that kind of messed that up. 
they put an S in there and they said, our God resigns. Nope, He doesn't resign. He reigns. Our God reigns. So what's the takeaway truth here as we look at these five truths? What's the application for us? Knowing Jesus should give us confidence to live out our faith. Knowing Jesus to give us that confidence. Hebrews is a manual on how to live by faith. Hebrews tells us how to live by faith. And as our world is imploding, our world is, seems to be falling apart around us, we must have faith that can't be shaken. We must have faith that can't be shaken, guys. And that only comes from knowing who? That only comes from knowing Christ. So if you know Jesus as your Savior, then take heart. He's coming back. Now, I say that because I don't know individual hearts. I hope you know Christ. And, but He's coming back. He's coming back to take His bride one day. I hope you're ready. Now, I want to I wanna conclude with a little story that I found. You may have heard this in the past, but I love this story. And it says, I read a story once about a wealthy man who had one son. His wife had died, and the son and the father were very close. Their passion was collecting pieces of art, paintings and art. And the father, he had been able to purchase works from some great masters. And eventually, they say his collection was more worth more than millions. So it was worth millions. And when the Vietnam War broke out, the son volunteered to join the Marines and get in the military. After several months, the father received the heartbreaking news that his son had died in action while rescuing a wounded Marine. A few months later, a stranger appeared to the father's door and holding a wrapped package. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I was a friend of your son. And in fact, I'm the one he saved in battle. I was wounded and he carried me towards a chopper. He and he was killed in doing that. Your son often talked about your love for art and how y'all loved art and kept a lot of art collections. So he unwrapped the package and he said, I'm not much of an artist, but in honor of your son, I painted a portrait of him based upon a photo of him in his marine dressed blues, basically dressed in his marines. I'd like for you to have it. The father's eyes whelped up in tears and he thanked the young man and offered to pay him. But the marine said no. You can't pay me. This is a gift. I can never repay for what your son did. He gave me life. The father hung the portrait over the mantle. He would always take his visitors and show them the painting. Hey, here's the painting of my son. So years later, the man died and his artwork was auctioned off as a part of the estate. Many collectors arrived, anxious to acquire one of the most valuable, precious arts of all the masters from all over the world. As the auction began, the auctioneer placed the picture of the father's son on the easel as the first piece to be auctioned. Here it is. I'm going to auction off the, the piece of my son. And he said, What is my bid for the picture of the son? There was silence. A voice from the back said, We didn't come to bid on the unknown piece. We are here for the masterpieces. But the auctioneer persisted. The deceased left clear instruction. This piece should be auctioned off first. So what's my bid? What's my starting bid? 100, 200? There were no takers. Finally, a voice from the back of the room said, I have been the gardener for here for many years. I was very fond of the father and the son. I'll bid on the son's picture. I'll give you a hundred dollars. So the auctioneer said, a hundred. Is there any other bids? 
The crowd was growing impatient. Someone yelled from the back, We don't want the sun. Sell it and let's get on to the valuable pieces of art. We want the valuable pieces. The auctioneer said, A hundred, going once, going twice, sold for a hundred dollars to the gardener, the man in the back. So a man seated on the second row said, Good, now let's get on with the real auction. The auctioneer laid his gavel down, laid it down and said, Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the auction. (laughs) The crowd jumped on their feet. What about the other paintings, the ones that are worth millions? The auctioneer said, I received specific instructions from the will of the deceased that this would be the only painting auctioned off and that whoever bought this painting would inherit the entire estate, including all the other paintings and everything he owned. Here, I'll read the words to you of what he said. Whoever chooses the son gets it all. And the book of Hebrews teaches that same thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died to save us from our destiny, which would be hell. And God has been asking, who will take my son? Who will take my son? And whoever chooses a son, Jesus Christ, gets it all. The Bible says in 1 John fifteen twelve, he who has a son has life. Who did not, who did not has a son does not have life. So as we look and we wrap that up and we look at this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we talked about. Jesus made and maintains everything in the universe. Jesus perfectly reflects God's glory and character. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us from sin. Jesus sets at the place of heavenly honor. So as we take away this and we look, I, I don't know. I don't know where your hearts are tonight. And I, I'm glad I got to come tonight and share God's word and share what's been on my heart. Because if you look around what's going on in the world, it's easy for us as believers to get kind of discouraged. Man, is God in control? What's going on? But don't forget, there's an enemy out there. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to stop the work of the Lord because he knows his final destiny. But you know yours. And if you're a believer, man, don't get entangled up in the things of this world. Don't fall back into the old ways, the old religious stuff, or whatever it is that entangles you. Hold your head up and look to Christ. Remember in Acts, as we looked, they looked up, just gazing. And the two men said, He's going to be back. That same Jesus who left is coming back. I believe that with all my heart. And I hope you do too. So let's, let's bow our heads. Let's, let's end in service and let's, let's just, I don't know where you are, but I want every head bowed, every eye closed because I want God to do work in your heart. And you know, you can know Jesus as your Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I'm a mess. I accept you to come into my heart and forgive me my sins and be Lord of my life. I want to serve you from this day and forever. I'm yours. Amen. You you can pray that prayer. Now I'm going to let God do work in your heart. We're going to sing and I'll I'll let them end out service. But again, I want to thank you all for allowing me to share God's word. Love you guys. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.